everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your cat for this evening. And joining me tonight is a man who he always lands on his feet if you chuck him up into the air. He likes getting his chin tickled and he's come to Kickstarter <laughs> because he wants some catnip, some fish and a lovely basket to sleep in. <laughs> I I bring you Lasha <laughs> of the moment. Mr. Feline Paws himself, <laughs> Captain Scratchy, it's Frank West. You've not had a busy day, have you? <laughs> just lists of them, it's amazing. It's just, it's just straight off the top of my head, do you know what I mean? I'm ad-libbing, I'm flowing like a river, making you shiver. Oh, it's amazing. You know, how are you doing? Yeah, no, I'm fantastic. Um, how are you? It's been a while since it's, we last Yeah, week. it is, how's your mic sitting? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different. We're using an actual microphone this time rather than a laptop in a tin can. Which is quite so good, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, a bit better. hopefully it doesn't sound like um an episode of Day of the Daleks or something like that, which was <laughs> which is fine. Um last time we spoke it was a long time ago because you'd had I know we'd spoken about Vidoran Gardens and we'd spoken about the second Kickstarter for City Kings and we're actually talking about the the uh, second um City of Games event kinda coming up as well. Yeah. And uh, and now um I believe that you're talking about land masses separated by <laughs> water with a kind of a almost like a a kind of a catty kind of feel to them because you've got your you got your your new game going to be coming out uh, called the Isle of Cats. Yeah, and you know me with tradition, I've kept the le and I've kept the of, yeah. but this time I've changed two words rather than just one. So I got rid of city this yes. time. I know we've done city of games and city of yes. games, but we've evolved that word. And obviously, the last word has gone to cats. So it's it's quite a big move for me from the kind of previous trends. What made you decide? Were you looking for something different, or has this been something that's been kind of? Sitting around in the wild in the kind of the, the Frank West notepad. It's one of those interesting things. I mean, I have lots of ideas for games, and there's games at the moment which are in my head that I hope to one day work on, but they might be five, six years away. They might be further, they might mm-hmm. not. But with this game, so, so The Art of Cats is, at its heart, is a polyomino game with a lot more going on than the traditional polyomino games. So these are games with the kind of the Tetris-shaped pieces oh, right. that you're putting onto a board, such as, you know, Barren Park or Patchwork or Spring Meadow or those kind of games. And 
ever since those games came out, one of the things that always went through my head was cats like to lie in different positions. And wouldn't it be really cool to have a game where every single one of these tiles was kind of had a cat kind of stretched out to kind of fill that space. And in my head, I just thought for a long time, I wonder when someone's going to do that. I wonder when someone's going to do that. And then no one did. So it was either a terrible idea or I got there first. So hopefully the um, I got there first is the important part of it's this. It's a game full of cats. It's a terrible idea, Frank. Can I also just point out, <laughs> can I just like point cats. out, right, with regards to pronunciation, right, and this, I practically scream out in the car when I hear this. I'm pretty sure it's meant to be pronounced Baron Park. I'm pretty yeah, sure but... it's meant to be pronounced Baron Park. Because <laughs> everybody goes, yeah, I've been playing Baron Park this week. Yes, I've been playing Baron Park <laughs> this week. And I'm going, it's Baron Park. It's a game <laughs> about bears. Um, in a park. In a park. <laughs> <laughs> it's not difficult. <laughs> my vein on the side of my head's like throbbing away. You know what I mean? I have to stop the car. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? A little oh, old lady tries to cross the road in front of me. I'm rolling down the window and going, It's bears! Cross the road! <laughs> I just can't say it. I mean, <clears throat> it, one of the... One of the best videos I ever produced, which had so many people love was after our first Kickstarter where I did a video of me reading through the names of everyone who backed our Kickstarter. <laughs> and I think I got it right maybe one in 20 times. <laughs> and as I read through this list, and I was sure it's like at least an hour or two hours long, I just slowly break. And by the time I get to the end of this video, I just, I'm not even, I can't pronounce English names. Like I get to a point where I'm like, Ben, it's Ben. And it's just like this comical gesture of like a typical English man just breaking as he's trying to say anything. Just punching the ear. It's, and that's Michelle Lee. Michelle, oh no, sorry, Michael. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did that as well. Because <laughs> you get to the point um, you kind of pronounce it, you try to pronounce. Oh, how, how is this? Is this a? Is this a French name? Is this a German name? You know, is this a European name? Is it a different type of name? And then you just go for it, and you absolutely kind of destroy it, um, which is always kind of completely. <laughs> And I mean, honestly, that video on my YouTube channel is, is absolutely hilarious. So for me, it will always be Baron Park. Um, <laughs> I've I've tried very hard to not call Sarah Sarah. Um, I spend a lot of my time trying to pronounce her name correctly, even though we've been together for five years now, and I still get it wrong on occasion. Um, but, you know, this is <laughs> what do you what do you call her, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael, put the kettle on. It's, it's Sarah. I think you'll find. Okay, Michael, put the Sarah on. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I'm just one of these people. I literally, I studied French when I was young, like most kind of English people do when they grow up. You get French classes, and because my grandparents lived in France, it was very important to my mother that I learned French. So I started learning French when I was. Very, very young. I started kind of three years before most people. And at one point, I'd been studying French for 11 years. And 
my mum came into my school and she had a meeting with my French teacher mm-hmm. and my French teacher just advised my mum that I didn't learn French anymore because I was never <laughs> going to be capable of speaking it. And <laughs> that was the <laughs> outcome of 11 years of me studying a language. And I'm just one of these people, I think that like, I'm a firm believer that a lot of humans work in very different ways and some people are very good at some things, some people are very bad at other things. And for me... I'm very bad at languages. <laughs> I just think I think you've got to play to your strengths. You know, I think you've got to play to your strengths. Um, it's the cat game, you know. I've had cats for a long time, <laughs> so there we go. Okay, here's a here's a question then. It's just like yes, yeah, it's going to be a sentence. I'm going to say where I'm going to raise the tone at the end, which you have to answer, <laughs> but. In creating the game, how many people did you promise you were going to end up with their cat in the game? And how many <laughs> are you going to let down? <laughs> I was very honest from the start that the game would never have people's cats in them. And the reason for this is that as much as it is about cats, we wanted them to be fantasy cats. It was very important to me that we kind of sat within the City of Kings universe, as with all of our games, and I wanted these to be cats that we could create. So there's only been one cat that's inspired any of these characters, really, and that was um, Ella, who was one of my cats, and she's been very important to me for a long time. So um, she's a white cat, so we decided to make one of the kind of the rare kind of race in the game a white breed of cat, kind of somewhat in her image. But other than that, kind of every cat has just been designed for the purpose of filling the tile and also Mm. for kind of being the right view of that type of cat. So what's the story behind it? I mean, what's the actual... You're saying it's staying within the City of Kings universe, which sounds tenuous, Frank. Exactly. It sounds tenuous. Oh, no. It's, it's tenuous, Frank. It's totally not. So this is... <laughs> tenuous. We, um... <clears throat> oh, my goodness. I it, It's got nothing to do with the City of Kings, actually. It's, um, it's actually set in space, and they're space cats that float around. And one day, I was looking up at the moon, and I was like, do you know what would work really well if we had space boats ferrying cats back and forwards to the moon? And it sounds like a better game, Then we game, could just Frank. say, Earth... <laughs> Um, so the story behind it is quite straightforward so this is in the time just prior to the City of Kings where Vesh who's kind of the main bad guy in our world um, has started destroying things but he's not quite destroyed everything and he's started to run out of resources so he's looking for kind of wood he's looking for minerals he's looking for things to kind of um, you know refill his armies and resources Uh and he finds this ancient island and it's an island that everyone kind of believes was kind of a myth they weren't really sure it was there but the kind of the good guys spies who are kind of amongst Vesh's troops discover that Vesh has found this island and they secure the map so it's kind of um like a Dunkirk kind of situation in a sense where they come they come back <laughs> oh my goodness I can't do this when you're laughing <laughs> like I can see you like <laughs> It's much harder when I can see you on a camera. <laughs> such, such, see, so we're easier to draw. I'm going to turn this. Out. Okay. It's, it's a Dunkirk situation with cats. I'm turning my, yes. I'm turning my so camera basically, off. 
<laughs> they come back to. Um... <laughs> oh god, this is such a serious point. Oh my goodness. Um, right. So they come back to the town of Squall's End, and they basically say to them, "You know, Vesh has found this island, and he's going there to gather the wood. He's going there to go and get these resources for his armies, mm-hmm. and he's likely just to kill everything that's on his island. He doesn't care about anything that's there. He just wants the raw minerals. Mm-hmm. So he's heading over there, and basically." We know that from the myth, there was these ancient creatures that used to live on this land. And we don't know if they're there or not, but we decide that we're going to go down and try and rescue them. We're not strong enough to beat Vesh at this point. We just don't have a chance. But everyone who's got a boat is just going to cross over to this island. And they're just trying to get there and save as many of the cats as they can to try and get them off the island. So when you arrive at the island, you've got five days before Vesh's fleet arrives. So really, this is about kind of just covering as much land as possible finding as many of these animals as possible and then finding a way to kind of get them back and to kind of retreat before Vesh arrives is it did you intend this to be as complicated not as complicated because what I'm going to say is Vidoran Gardens had on its mechanics it was a simplistic game to play but there were some additional mechanics in there that put it kind of slightly above uh, you know, other games in terms of being able to dive in. In terms of complexity, would you say this is along the same lines as Vidoran Gardens? Would you say it's a lower entry? Would you say it's far more complicated than that in terms of the gameplay? So, I guess in terms of the complexity in general, and just to give some comparisons, I mean, the simplest line I say to people is, because it's a very popular game right now, that the Art of Cats is very comparable to Wingspan in terms of complexity to learn and in terms of the complexity to play. So if you're familiar with that game, it's on a similar kind of level. Right. I um, This is the third kind of game that I've designed now for release. And one thing I've learned over the last few years is... The difference between what kind of the goals of the games and what's kind of best for the audience. So Vidoran Gardens was always a game that was more complicated than people were going to assume. Not to play, but in terms of to do well. And, you know, we've just done a UK Games Expo. We did um, we did so many demos over the last weekend and so many people played it and enjoyed it. But there is a tendency to initially assume it's going to be a little bit easier than it is. Yeah. And this is something that I've really kind of learned moving forward. So with the Isle of Cats, I wanted to create a solid medium weight game. I wanted there to be a lot of depth. I wanted there to be a lot of strategy. But I wanted it to be very easy to learn and very easy to pick up. But with that in mind, I also understood that it's a cute game about cats. And this time around, you know, I'm aware that people are going to pick it up and just be like, I just want to put cats on a boat. I just want to have fun. I don't want the thinkiness. I just want that kind of lightness. So we've designed two modes to the game. There's the family mode and then there's kind of the gamer mode. So the gamer mode is the core game. The rule book is focused on how you play the standard game. But the family mode, they basically switch out some of the rules. And by switch, I guess remove some of the rules is the best term. So what it says is, if you want to play the family mode, you can ignore these two thirds of the game. And you can use this set of cards instead of the cards that are normally in the game. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it becomes a very light, very child-friendly kind of game. But yeah. what's great about it is if you play the family mode first 
you can then play the standard mode and you don't have to change the rules. You just have to learn some additional things. So it makes it really easy for people to pick up and play, but it also provides an experience for kind of the more seasoned gamer at the same time. Do you think that's important? That is the accessibility side of things, not in terms of, and I keep saying this, but the ability for somebody just to be able to get it on the table get a version of it played so then they can come back and they can then expand on what they've learned at a later date without having to sit there with a rule book for like half an hour and kind of struggle through. I do and I don't. I think it really comes down to the game and the goals. I mean, you could sit there and say every game should be playable by everyone. But then, you know, Twilight Imperium 4, which is this big, super long kind of epic game, you don't really want a 15-minute kind of family version of that. Like, that game is never designed to give that experience. And when you look at it, you're never mm-hmm. going to assume it does. But with a game like The Isle of Cats, you know, through its name, through its artwork, through the visuals, you look at it and you kind of think, oh, maybe this could be a very light and easy-to-play game, or maybe it's going to have more depth to it. But it's going to be more kind of attractive to the kind of the lesser experienced gamer. So in that instance, I think it's really important to either have clear messaging or kind of the rules that allow those people entry to the game as well. Okay. Um, in terms of going, I mean, are you taking, I mean, are you taking Isla, the Isle of Cats to Kickstarter again then? Yes, so the Kickstarter will be in a couple of weeks from the recording date. All right, cool. Okay, okay. Um, are you? I mean, have you, what kind of have you th- have you thought about kind of including kind of Vidoran Gardens? Because when you ran the last, when you ran the Vidoran Gardens campaign, you included the ability for people to jump back into the City of Kings. So you seem to be kind of. Pulling, pushing, yeah. pulling things to kind of together. Are you planning on doing the same thing for the Isle of Cats to have like a a Vidorin Garden kind of Isle of Cats pledge as well? So we're not going <laughs> to offer it as a pledge, and I'm currently looking at the option of potentially offering it in the pledge manager afterwards as an add-on but one of the things i'm very aware of is now both the city of kings and fedoran gardens are heavily heavily into retail we are selling um thousands of copies of the games like every kind of you know few months now into retail and i don't want to try and undercut the people who are supporting me through retail. So if I put Vidoran Gardens onto my Kickstarter, mm-hmm. it starts to have this, well, what about the you know thousand copies that happen to be out in retail this week? Are they suddenly not going to be purchased because I've put them into another platform? Yeah. Or is it going to help raise awareness? And I really want this to be about kind of the Isle of Cats and obviously if we can promote our other games during that time that's fantastic yeah. but it's not it's not about selling more copies of our old games and it's not I mean I don't want to say it's not about making money because of course you know we want to make money to be able to continue doing what we're doing but I don't want to kind of look at it and go oh this could be a good way of selling another 100 copies of that game because that's that's not the approach I like to take. I much prefer our things to sell themselves and not to have that same kind of, oh, it's only another tenner, go on kind of mentality. Yeah, I've seen um, I've seen a couple of campaigns recently and the hundreds of dollars 
on Kickstarter. I'm just wondering yeah. who who's that f- who's that for? There's <laughs> obviously there's people that are backing. There's people that are backing it. But I'm looking at um entry level and I'm just looking at it and saying I can't I can't even kinda I can't even go near that. You know, there's no point in even yeah. there's no point in even liking that project or following that project or sticking a pound on that project in the hope to come back later because I just know I'm just not no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. You know, no chance. It's just I can't and this is, just can't happen for me now. It's that kind of mentality where, you know, you said earlier about kind of were we always designing this game or was it always in the plans? And for me, I really want to kind of build a catalogue of games that kind of tick the different boxes. I don't want to be known as someone who always designs one type of game. So obviously we did the City of Kings, which is this big box game that, you know, you can spend hundreds of pounds if you get all of the accessories and all of the expansions. And then we've got Fedoran Gardens, which is kind of a £17 game, which obviously is very small and very cheap and very easy to get. Mm. So I wanted Mm. the Isle of Cats to be that kind of middle ground. So if you buy the Isle of Cats... Maybe you want to drop down to Fedoran Gardens at some point. Maybe you want to move up to the City of Kings. But it's kind of sitting somewhere in the middle in terms of physical size, in terms of price, in terms of kind of complexity. And it's really designed for us to kind of say, now we've kind of got our, you know, three different steps. We can start producing more games that are similar to previous games. Has City of Kings had a longer tail on it? In terms of the interest, because I'm just I'm starting to see kind of <clears throat> snippets. I seen like um, just the other day, um, Mike Delisio released his thoughts on the City yeah. of King because he does a lot of solo mode, and he seemed to be um, he seemed to be quite favourable, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, are you finding that that people are kind of are people are getting around to it and are actually going, oh, hang on. Um, we're really, really enjoying this. People are kind of, it continues to be the game which people are starting to spend some serious time with and getting an awful lot out of it. Like, completely. And it's one of those interesting things because obviously when I spoke to you the first time, Mm. um, you know, the City of Kings, it was years ago. And I was it before the first Kickstarter, I think? Yeah. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it was so long ago. So to you and me, that game feels like it's been around for so long. But, like, a really interesting perspective is it's June now. And the game released in retail in America at the end of February, start of March. So for my US distributor... Um, March this year was the kind of the first big month that they had to sell the game. And it's only, you know, the first week of June now. So that's kind of what March, April, May. So three months ago, the game kind of came out. And that's very hard to kind of perceive when you've seen the game for so long. But it's amazing how long that cycle can take from Kickstarter to reprint to distribution. So yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're selling thousands of copies every month worldwide. And it's selling very, very well. And the expansions are selling, the kind of the extras are selling, and it's become a continued success. And we've not really seen that. Obviously, you've got the two spikes of the Kickstarters. But other than that, we've not kind of seen that kind of start to drop off yet. Yeah, because I mean, um, I mean, probably I don't know how many people will know this, but financially, um, the City of Kings was, you know, almost kind of finished. You guys, 
in terms of a couple of things that kind of happened during the campaigns and fulfillment where you had to fork out a lot of money to the point where it kind of you had to make some serious business decisions regarding kind of what you were doing and the kind of the way forward. So are you are you past that now? Are you sitting there going, you know, we're not making a fortune, but every month there's there's trickles coming in, there's money coming in, there's a steady kind of flow of cash coming in. Things are kind of looking on the up and up. Yeah, I mean, like to put it into perspective, and you know, I've always spoken openly about numbers. So the Isle of Cats will be going on to Kickstarter in a couple of weeks, and to date. I have spent somewhere between twenty and twenty-five thousand pounds making mm. the Isle of Cats. So right. that is through artwork, that is through writing, that is through like prototypes, that is through kind of meetings and showing and sending things off. That's through you know previews. That's through every kind of like different aspect you can see. The entirety of how much money has been spent is around that twenty to twenty-five thousand pound mark. So, obviously, in my head, that means if the Kickstarter doesn't succeed, that becomes potentially wasted money. But the other way you can look at it is all of that money has been generated through the success of City of Kings. So, if the City of Kings hadn't have got to where it was, I wouldn't have been able to invest that money into this game. But... I'm not yet at a point where we're making enough money to be able to do the entirety of the manufacturing, the entirety of publishing. You know, now that money is invested, if this game doesn't succeed, then it's very possible that I'll be back to, you know, a nine till five doing something else. This Mm. is kind of, I'm still in that phase where it's, you have to invest and then have one successful thing and that allows you to do the next. It's not got to a point where the funds are there to like, you know, fulfill the next two or three things, but we're certainly not at the point where the money isn't coming in. Have you thought about doing what um, Cesar's doing at Alley Cat Games? Because I think he's just announced um, today, I think he's announced another game that he's going to be bringing to Kickstarter, which is again, is nothing he's designed, but he seems to be like a almost like a Kickstarter kind of publishing house. Have you thought about going down that route? I mean, are you as are you getting pitched to now? I mean, are you getting a couple of emails a week from you know a, a game designer saying, "Look, I'll tell you what, I'm looking at this, this, and this, and this is my idea from my game kind of thing." Are you are you starting to get kind of regular emails like that? We do get some, but I think I make it very clear and obviously in a polite way that at this point in time, it's not something that we're kind of interested in. So whenever you go to conventions, whenever you do kind of press previews or shows, there's always forms and things you can fit in to say whether you're interested in people pitching to you. And for me, it's something that right now I'm still happy to not be doing. Not because I don't want to you know, work with other people, but just because... Yeah. I really like the fact that we can focus on one game every kind of 12 to 18 months. I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you said Caesar, I mean, he releases many, many games a year. I don't know how many it is, but it feels like it's somewhere between maybe five and 10. Maybe I'm overstating that, but from the amount I see coming through, it feels like it's at that level. Whilst for me, I would rather just be able to put all of my energy into one project and just truly perfect every aspect of it as much as I personally believe I can and then run mm-hmm. with that. 
Um, what about Rising Blades? Where are you with that at the moment? Is that kind of sitting still under preparation? Did it, is it made kind of logical sense to bring the Isle of Cats into that kind of Kickstarter slot? It is. So Rising Blades is a game that I've been working on for about two years now, I would say. It's kind of, it was the end of the first Kickstarter, so just over two years ago. And it's still being worked on. It's a game where, like the City of Kings, it's what I refer to as a black box game. So it's quite a big game. There's a lot to it. It's a bit more kind of at the higher end in terms of both pricing, but in also in terms of kind of complexity to play. Um, I mean, it's a much, it's not a kind of like, you know, family entry game. It's a proper serious kind of Euro level kind of thinky game. And, for me, there's two sides to it. One of them is I'm constantly iterating that game. I want to really kind of get some parts of it perfect. And again, as I said earlier, I'm in a situation where because I don't have to rush lots and lots of games out each year, I can really let each game kind of evolve where I want it to be and kind of iterate play tests and make big changes. But also it was about... Um, trying to like hit those different points in the market share, you know, trying to get it so that we're not known just for making these big, expensive, complex games. We mm-hmm. wanted to be known for making games which are smaller. We wanted to have more kind of appeal in different areas. So the Isle of Cats for me is my first genuine um, attempt at trying to make a like mass hobby gamer game. So what I mean by that, you know, is... Like, The City of Kings was always a big box game. It's more of a specialist game. And whilst you can sell a yeah. lot of them, you're never going to say sell the same quantity of them as you might for a typical, you know, Terraforming Mars or kind of Detective from Portal, you know, those kind of more mainstream kind of games that kind of go out there. And yeah. I really wanted to have an attempt of how do we do this? How do we make a more mainstream game? that's going to um, tick more boxes for more people, be more kind of easy to access, be at that kind of more friendly price point. And that was why that game kind of came forward before Rising Blade, so we could just try and expand our audience more. So in terms of gameplay, you know, what what can I expect from a game? What can I expect when I'm kind of playing I mean, you've mentioned, obviously, it's going to be a little bit more complicated than Vodoran Gardens um, because you're wanting to be be kind of bigger and heavier. Um, So what are you, you know, if you've got the Isle of Cats sitting in front of you, what am I expecting to kind of play? So I guess the starting point with this is, as I mentioned earlier, games like Baron Park and Spring Meadow and Patchwork and, you know, Indian Summer, more recently Copenhagen. And there's lots of these kind of polyomino games that kind of exist, but they all sit in a very kind of a light kind of side of the market. They're very kind of easy to play casual games, which are fun, they're enjoyable. But for me and Sarah, we wanted something that was a lot more kind of thinky, but we didn't want to go to like Feast for Odin, which is kind of this opposite giant Euro kind of game that has a little bit of polyominoes in it. So for us, we kind of thought to ourselves, the key points are how do we create the polyomino game where that is still the basis, still the core part of what you're doing is placing tiles onto your player board. We really wanted to not 
like take away from that but we wanted to make more interesting decisions around how you get those tiles yeah. um why you place those tiles many of these games are about how do you fill your player board as much as possible so we wanted to explore the concept of why do we make it not about filling your whole board but more about how you strategically fill parts of it for different situations so at its heart the game is a polyomino tile placement game so again the tetris shaped kind of pieces that you're Mm. kind of flipping and rotating to kind of lock together but then it's also a card drafting game so you're going to have a big pile of cards there's about 150 cards in the game you're going to play over five rounds and on each round you're going to be given a handful of cards you're going to choose some of them you're going to pass the cards around the table continue to choose more of them and then you're going to have a selection of cards now on top of the card drafting and the polyominoes, you're also going to have a basic level of resource management. So on each um, round, you're going to get an income of fish, and those fish you're going to need for various tasks. So once you've drafted your seven cards and you have them in your hand, each of those cards will have a cost associated with it. So it's up to you how many you want to keep. You can keep all seven of them. You don't have to keep any of them. But every card you keep is going to require you to spend some of your fish. So let's say that you keep five of your cards and then you Mm -hmm. obviously are spending, say, ten fish. That means you're going to have ten fish left. You're going to have five cards in your hand and two are going to get discarded. You're then going to play through a series of um, kind of card placement steps. So you're going to have cards which give you personal goals. So these are the lesson cards. And these are the things that define how you personally are going to score points at the end of the game. So the more lesson cards you have, the more points you can get, but the harder they will be to achieve. So these might be things like have five red cats touching each other at the edge of your boat. Or have, you know, um, four purple cats that are kind of on this side of your boat. Or have a vertical line of cats of this much. Or it might be have um, five different treasures on your boat and have a different colour cat touching each of those treasures. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what they do is they define the types of things you need to do, how you're going to fill your boat. And it means that you're not just trying to fill as much as possible, but you're trying to fill specific areas. And obviously, you know, if you've got one that says have five purple cats over here doing this, and you have another one that says have one of each colour cat over here doing this, and then you might have another one that says have two of each cat over here doing this, you're suddenly going to start kind of having conflicting decisions about, oh, I need the purple one over there, but also I need a purple one over here, and which one of these two things am I going to do? And now I've got a lesson card that says don't have more than three purple cats, and I need four purple cats to do these things. So they start (laughs) to add to those decisions. And the lesson cards... Uh, like they're fantastic in this game and they're kind of modular so what i mean by that is there's a whole bunch of them in the um in the core deck but they're also um in groups and you can take groups out and you can put other groups of lesson cards in so you can have more advanced lesson cards you can have simpler lesson cards you can have multiplayer lesson cards where different people can score off the same cards but they really define how you fill your boat and then obviously from that the other cards are going to allow you access to cats and they're also going to allow you access to treasures. Treasures are just small things you can put on your boat to kind of fill gaps. Um, but the rescuing the cats is where the second level of interest comes in because you need several things to rescue a cat. You need a basket card. So some of the cards you draft will be baskets or parts of baskets that you can join together to make baskets. And every time you rescue a cat from the kind of the pool of cats on the table, you have to have a basket card to play. So if you don't have a basket card, you're going to get zero cats. 
But when you rescue a cat, depending on where you get it from, and there's two sections to the kind of the board, there's the left side and the right side, they're going to have different costs. So the ones on the left-hand side are going to require you to spend three fish to rescue them, and the ones on the right-hand side are going to require you to spend five fish to rescue them. So not only do you need the basket cards to get cats, but then you're also going to have to give them fish. Which means if you spend too much fish on the cards you keep at the start of the game, you're not going to have any fish left to rescue cats. But if you don't spend enough fish on cards at the start of the game, you're not going to have um, baskets to rescue the cats. And also you're not going to have the lesson cards to kind of give you the points at the end of the game. So there's this kind of balance between where do I spend my fish? Do I spend them on cards? Do I spend them on cats? What kind of cats do I need? What kind of goals do I need to get? And that kind of whole surrounding element of what does that mean I'm actually going to have on my boat at the end of each round? So, <clears throat> pretty much, are you are you suggesting that you're answering the question about whether or not it's difficult or easy to herd cats? <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think I should answer that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a cat. Okay, okay then. Right, okay. Um, in terms of the Kickstarter... Then, if you're not going to answer that yeah. question, okay. Um, <clears throat> have you <clears throat> got yourself a cat costume for doing the videos for the various live <laughs> streams and stuff like that? I have not. You're doing, Frank. And if you I... haven't, if you haven't got one, why haven't you got one, Mister West? One of my goals with this Kickstarter and this game is to produce a high-quality game that people will enjoy and hopefully not have to use gimmicks to convince them of that. So <laughs> I'm going to spend a lot of my time, um, mm-hmm. and one of the things we've been doing for this last week, of just giving people the information they need in a simple, right. easy way, producing okay. artwork, producing writings, producing videos, and just keeping okay. it a little bit simpler than perhaps previous projects. Is that... That's not a direct no to the cat costume question, <laughs> then. Is it? If the kicks <laughs> It's not a direct no, but um, what, it, it's not what level? Yes. What level... Of funding, right? <laughs> Say you fund, because you will. Yeah. Because I have faith. Uh, in, yeah, I, I have faith in you, uh, Frank. I, right? I feel like this is one of those things where, like, I don't... I, oh, I continue to ask myself, at what point will I have confidence that my Kickstarters will succeed? Because I generally, hand on heart, as much as I believe that this is a great game and as much as I believe that we're going to do the best we can with it I generally have that fear that when we press go no one's going to be there and you know there'll obviously be like 10 or 20 people who kind of like your core kind of people yeah I won't I just I have this under kind of lying fear and one of the things I've done and like it's so different for me this time than previous kickstarters is for me my kickstarter is already live And what I mean by that is I made the decision with the Isle of Cats to do a three-week campaign prior to the Kickstarter. So I am currently doing 12 to 18 hours a day, every day, and I have been for the last week and I will be for the next two weeks in the run-up to the Kickstarter. And all the things that I would typically do during my Kickstarter in regards to 
foreign posts, in regards to kind of uh, marketing, in regards to Twitter, in regards to Facebook, I have already started. And I'm spending all day, every day, just engaging and sharing and talking and promoting in the most kind of natural way I can. So, and all of that is because of that, I feel like if I don't do this and I launch that Kickstarter and it fails, then I will hate myself for that. So I have to do everything I can to kind of push. And hopefully with this effort, we will fund, we will succeed, but I just don't take it as a given. I put like the spreadsheets I have at the moment, all the data I'm tracking, all the things I'm doing is, it's a very strange thing compared to previous projects, but it's the only thing I have right now that gives me any confidence that those people will turn up. So what you're saying is that you're not living it like a cat. You're being more <laughs> working hard like some kind of dog, basically. is Because if it was a cat, then it'd be 12 to 18 hours kind of lying around expecting somebody else to do everything for it instead. So you're actually working quite hard like a dog in order to <laughs> in order to be able to create this game, which is the life of cats. Yes. I'm not putting words <laughs> in your mouth, Frank. I'm just saying that there's no way I can see a cat working hard <laughs> on a Kickstarter for 12 to if 18 you hours. you my two cats. It would get like you get seven minutes at the most out of them and they'd be like that. <laughs> they'd be throwing the keyboard and they were like, right, okay. Mm. It's a sunny day. I'm off out in the sun. <laughs> you can get somebody else to press your F5 button. I'm going to go and hunt birds <laughs> or something like that. Um, oh. <laughs> it's such, such a low opinion. I'm, um, I'm, I'm not sure I entirely agree, but you know. <laughs> I think, you know, I, you know, one thing I know, one thing I'm always kind of I guess I've got to say this. One of I'm always slightly impressed of the way that your work ethic works, Frank, because I don't think I know somebody who um, seems to put so much work in that um, you can tell when it comes through by the kind of like the the way that you run the campaigns and the way that you run. You know, you, you end up with a finished product as well. You know, I've got the door and gardens. I've got the city of kings. Um, <clears throat> They are both highly, you know, they're both very well produced kind of products and excellent games, you know, you know, for what they, for what they do and what they bring to the table. Um, so I can't deny you for that, but this whole, you know, working like a cat thing, it's just, it's for the birds, mate. It's just not, but what's, oh, <laughs> but what's, <laughs> what's the price of entry going to be? You don't get to answer and come back with a rebuke. What's the price of entry going to be? You've mentioned it's going to be middle <laughs> tier. So how much? How much are we expecting here to to fork out? I guess. See, I don't know if I can tell you that yet because this is going to be going live before the Kickstarter, and I'm not planning to put the prices up before the Kickstarter goes live. So that. I, I I could answer with it's going to be in between Vidoran Gardens and City of Kings, but obviously that's kind of like saying it's somewhere between a mouse and a blue whale. So <laughs> it's kind of in that middle ground. But what I would say is, is it for, if you is go it 43? to your local board game... Is it 43? <laughs> if you go to your local board game store and you pick yeah. up a... 
game like Wingspan or like Terraforming Mars or like Detective or something along those kind of lines, that kind of size box, then it's going to be a very comparable price to that. And the other thing I would say is that my ambition with this game, as I said earlier, is to really try and get it into mass market hobby kind of area. So my intention with the Kickstarter is to fund the manufacturing and production. And because of that, this Kickstarter is going to be it's for what you're going to get. It's going to be a lot cheaper than if you go to buy it in retail afterwards. I have heavily, heavily discounted a lot of the elements and to a point where we've actually talked about the fact that if even if the Kickstarter succeeds, we're probably not going to make profit off this just because we want to make the Kickstarter as attractive as possible and to then help get that kind of retail ball rolling with it. But you're not setting a low funding goal, though. You're just basically saying, well, if we actually needed to put, put this... Um, out there at a, at a reasonable price, it would be a lot more than what um, than what what you're going to people are going to be pledging for, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a good example of that is I'm going to be doing something which everyone's told me not to do, and that's kind of my middle name. Don't do what we're telling you. So, <laughs> um, and. If you've seen many, many Kickstarters these days, you'll see that the stretch goals are, you know, we start with a wooden cube or a token and the first stretch goal is now it's going to be like a custom cut out uh, meeple and then the next stretch goal is there's going to be some artwork on it and the next stretch goal is the next piece is going to be a custom cut out meeple and so on. And it's kind of, you're slowly deluxifying everything up. So... With this Kickstarter, we're flat out just not doing that. And everything at the start is going to be completely upgraded and customized. So we actually have a message on the Kickstarter page under stretch goals, which effectively says we have given you absolutely everything. We are just going, this is the high level that we can kind of push for. So because of that, I like, unless we hit very high numbers, we're not going to cover those costs because the stretch goals we're putting in are, you know, we would need to hit hundreds and hundreds of thousands on the typical campaign to get to those kind of levels. And I don't expect us to do that. So I've decided let's just go with it. You know, we'll have some smaller fun stretch goals, but yeah. from day one, this game is going to be as good as it can be. Yeah, I don't think you want to. I mean, <clears throat> I know of places that kind of like, they bring like the roast joint to the table and then it's like, well, there you go. What do you think of that? And you go, nice. You got gravy. Ah, gravy's extra. What about potatoes? Well, potatoes are, yeah. <laughs> potatoes are 150,000. Uh, broccoli's 175. Yeah. Um, what about a plate? Um, well, that's the 200,000 stretch goal and you're sitting yeah. there going, um, okay, am I actually getting the full game here or am I, you know, I think I don't know. It's depends. I see a lot of kind of carving off and 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 things like that. And I think um, if you're looking at kind of like video games, when it comes to them kind of selling DLC, a lot of them they're either producing entirely different levels, which some people claim are carved off, but usually the core game itself is you don't get in video games. You don't get people saying, "Well, if we get through this." If you buy this amount, you'll get dynamic lighting. 
for instance, or we'll yeah. put the kind of the full, we'll put the full animations in. We'll activate the left and right turn keys. Exactly. <laughs> we'll put like, you know, I mean, you'll be able to save your game. Um, you know, so you've got kind of. But that's it. So for us, we're keeping it very straightforward. We're having two tiers. The first tier is the game and you get two boxes. You get the game and then you get what I refer to as the Kickstarter pack. The Kickstarter pack will have a bunch of deluxe stuff in it by default. And then it will also have um, all of the stretch goals will go into that. So by default, tier one is game and all stretch goals and that extra stuff. Tier two is game, stretch goals, extra stuff, Kickstarter things, and then also the five and six player expansion. So should you want to be able to play with five and six, then that's an optional extra thing. And the reason for that is... Because of how this game's designed, it's literally, um, apart from the box and the rule book, 25% mm. of the components per player. So if you want to have five and six players, you need to have 50% more components than if you had four players. So we have separated that into a second box, but that's it. So the two tiers are one to four player and then one to six player. And there's no extra add-ons. There's no extra other bits and bobs. It's just nice and straightforward. So if you got a date for launch... It is the 25th of June at 4pm UK time. Uh, so that is going to be, um, that's 12 o'clock US time. Well, East Coast US time. And uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's, we generally launch at 8am and 11am as the kind of two of the US times and then 4pm UK time. Because I feel that that gives us... Um, half of America is just getting up half of America is just getting on to lunch mm-hmm. um, obviously England and Europe are kind of just finishing work they're travelling home and they're kind of bored at work for that last half an hour Australia is kind of a few hours from waking up and obviously China is kind of late in the kind of evening so I like that time because I feel like it means that you're the closest point to as many people as possible being awake and active cool, that's good is it this price? <laughs> you keep showing me numbers. I've got, what you can't see is I, I've got I've I've cracked open the box of donuts for donuts that my microphone stand has been sitting on. And as Frank's been talking away and um, bless him and his little cotton socks, I've been throwing up different numbers like to try and get him to kind of give me some acknowledgement as to what the price will be. And he's and he's not when you- I thought you were like, oh, you've got 45 seconds before we need to finish or no, something. No. And then you put the number up and I was like, hang on a second. <laughs> I just well, like, I've got longer to talk. You want me to say more? It's like this camera allows you to do psychological warfare. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, oh, there you go. Um, if <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet webs, Frank? They can find me in many places. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube mm-hmm. as City of Games HQ. Mm-hmm. And then you can find me on Board Game Geek on the forums for City of Kings, Fedora and Gardens, or the Art of Cats. I'm very active there. And on the 25th of June for the next four weeks, you can find me on Kickstarter, somewhere with pictures of cats. And remember, if Frank does fund, he's going to be wearing the best cat costume ever. He's just, <laughs> he's just actually just giving me a wink and a nod when I was suggesting that to him. So that's definitely going to happen. So definitely stay 
tuned for that part of the campaign because if you're a cat lover like me then it's definitely going to be something that you're going to want to to keep your paws on yeah that was perfect <laughs> Perfect. Didn't even do that, did we? Got to the end, didn't even say perfect. We almost got perfect. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, there's a couple of ways that you can, you know, keep an eye on what we're up to. Um, you know, you can um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on our website, which is we'renotwizards.com. You can find us on our blog, where you'll find kind of previews and reviews of games. Um, a lot of them are put there by our wonderful writer Steve Gilvery, um, who does an awful lot of writing for us and he's very good at what he does so please check out his things um, you can send us an email if you want to email us in general send an email to magic at wearenotwizards.com if you want to email us specifically about our podcast you can send us an email to podcast at wearenotwizards.com I know it's new and shiny <laughs> um, you know if you want to uh, yeah, if you want to find us on Instagram, we're there. If you want to find us on all these different podcast catchers, you can find us. All the ones I've got pod in them, all the ones I've got cast in them. Spotify, which has got neither of them, you can find us there. It's wonderful and fantastic. If you like what you've listened to tonight, then um, tell somebody else about it. That's how people find out we exist and how people continue to find us and listen to us. And the if you like us even more, go to... Apple Podcasts for now, apparently, because they're getting rid <laughs> of um, that and they're turning it into an app. I have no idea what they're going to be doing. Um, we shall see. Um, but drop us a subscription. Um, if you like what you've listened to, um, then give us a rating or a review. And as we say, um, what should they? what should they not give us, Frank? Um, probably a six, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, don't give us a six, Frank. Well, should they no, not? Give, give well, should they not give us, Frank? Not give you a five stars because you don't want it to go to your heads. No ten, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you won the tens now. I thought it was five stars. No, it's don't it give tens? us tickets. It makes us big headed. Oh, don't give tens, us one star. Yeah, it makes us cry. Give us. I got the big headed bit. Give us five <laughs> stars. Because it's average, um, and we're just a little bit average. But jo- but the person who's not been average <laughs> is rather wonderful. They're rather fantastic. Is it this one? This is my last guess. No? <laughs> That's the same guess as last Is that the same time. as the last? What about this? <laughs> what about that? Is it the same as that? <laughs> I couldn't is possibly that close tell <laughs> Is it that? <laughs> Uh, this is like the worst type of charades I've ever done. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's it's a film. Oh, it's a, um, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's a rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Mr. Frank West, who's best. Thank you so much. He's like, if he was going to be a cat food, he'd be a tin of salmon, wouldn't he? You know, um. <laughs> In Bray. <laughs> um. Just got that. Um, there's only a couple more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Um, are we wizards, Frank? We are not, but we might be cats. Speak for yourself. Um, 
And the second, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Frank. Say goodbye, Frank. Meow. Of course, you were going to do that. I should have written that down <laughs> in an envelope. <laughs> And I could have opened it up at the same time and said, Frank's going to say meow. <laughs> I wish I hadn't. I feel ashamed. <laughs> you should. You absolutely should. And the second thing, uh, and it's a goodbye from me. Uh, you know, just crushingly disappointed. As usual, when I speak to this man, I have no idea why I had him on. It's probably because he paid. Um, <laughs> uh, remember, uh, st- stay safe. Um, roll sixes. Make something awful. Um, dot fireside.fm and um, check out the Isle of Cats when it comes out on the 25th of June at 4 o'clock Great British time because it's going to be fantastic sounds really interested I'm really really intrigued not sure how cats all stay together on a boat though not sure about that there's like a lot of questions I have there but I'm not going to go into it just now but until the next time goodbye woof Wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.